Good morning. I'm so thankful that you're here. I'll tell you what, uh, I hope you got to see Zach today. Um, Zach sits right here. And, uh, you know, the world says about Zach that he has special needs. I think Zach has a special calling. You know, I watched him. Yeah, give him a hand. I, I was, he ministered to me today as I just got to watch him worship. I mean, I can't jump today. I had knee surgery this week, so, so I, but it, I was thinking what he was doing. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, aren't you all sick of COVID like me? I'm so sick of it. Uh, it's like Groundhog Day in a bad way. But, um, but you know, here's the deal. Um, we're, we're never going to shut down again as a church. We're not going to do that. We're going to keep coming. If you don't feel well, man, I'm so glad we're at this day. A lot of people are at home because they're sick. And watch it online. So we're grateful that you can join us today. But, man, we're going to keep rolling uh, and sharing the gospel. And that's what we're going to do. Um, I want to ask you a question. Um, how many of you grew up in church in this room? Uh, uh, okay. Um, how many of you grew up in a Baptist church? Okay. Cool. Um, you, you know, I was a Baptist about nine months before I was born. Um, uh, actually, exactly nine months before I was born. Um, my mom was a church librarian. My dad was a deacon. And, and I brought, I have this in my office. I was saved. Uh, I was a Baptist before I was a Christian. <laughs> I really was. And, um, and on June 17th, 1979, I was about to be eight years old. I came to know Christ. And, um, and I always saw myself as an eight-year-old back then because I was almost eight, a few days away from being eight. And, uh, and, you know, I'm thankful for growing up in a Baptist church because I, that's when I learned the value of the Word of God, the influence of the Word of God. I, I heard the gospel clearly proclaimed that, that I needed Jesus, I needed a Savior. And, and I'm thankful, and, and, and I'm thankful for our Baptist roots, for my Baptist roots. And, and uh, I grew up on the south side of Oklahoma City in, in, a, in a church that was um, kind of in a rough neighborhood and, and uh our, our life revolved around this South Oklahoma City church. And, and I watched all kinds of people come to Christ. Bouncers at bars. Uh, there's a guy named Jerry Spence who was a bouncer at the Cat Baloo 2. I don't know if you've ever been there. You probably shouldn't. Um, but, uh, but he got saved, and it was just super cool to see people come to Christ. That, that just, it was just awesome. And as I think about where we are in our world I'm a little wound up today. I'm so grateful I get to preach today. Um, on December 14th, there was some Pew Research that came out. I don't know if you've ever looked at Pew Research. But uh, the Pew Research uh, kind of gave their latest study, sociological study. And, and the Pew Research pointed out that, that uh, about the growing nuns, not N-U-N-S, uh, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, people that don't identify with any religious uh, belief in the United States of America. Do you realize that, that from in the last, uh, I think it was since 2012 to the last 10 years, 10 years ago it was about 12% that identified as nuns. It's 30% today. That's statistically, that's crazy. That, that is like mass, a massive cultural shift in the United States of America. I'm going to give you a couple of facts today, three, three facts today 
These are not in your notes or anything, I don't think. But, but the first fact is that, Amer- that, that America, the United States, is secularizing right in front of our eyes. We're becoming more and more secular, which means we, we are turning our minds and our, our eye away from things of God. That's what secularization is describing. The United States is secularizing, and it's happening right in front of us. Here's another fact. Do you realize that every person who doesn't know Christ needs Jesus more than they need the next breath that they take? That's a fact. I'll tell you what, that motivates me. As, as I look at, at, at the, the, the world that God has called us to, let me tell you something. We live in a world that needs Christ. And, and, and I'm grateful that I get to be a pastor in these days. I'm grateful that, that you know, in, the frust- in spite of the frustrations that I feel with COVID and all the things that are happening in our culture, look, I want to be in the middle of this. You're not going to be able to pull me off of this. You're not going to be able to pull our church off of this. Because we believe passionately that every person without Christ needs Jesus. Here's a third fact. I'm thankful for Keith Davis. You know, y'all, Keith Davis preached last week, even though he made a joke about tennis players, right? Uh, if you were here last week, what a, what a nodhead. Uh, no, I love Keith. Um, I've watched Keith a long time. I've served the Lord with Keith a long time. We were interns together at Council Road Baptist Church years ago, 20, 30 years ago or whatever it was. I've watched him. God has used him in my life. Keith has a, had a heart for missions. And Keith Davis, I'm so grateful he's on the staff because he's leading our church to the cutting edge of missions here, there, and everywhere. And I love it that he's coined that phrase. Here's a third fact that God has called and deployed this body of believers to be missionaries here all over Owasso and Tulsa. There, all over Oklahoma and the United States of America and everywhere all over the world. I love it that Keith coined that phrase for us because that is driving the evangelism strategy of our church. And, and, and I just got to tell you what, and I just want to share my heart with you a little bit this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Revelation chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. Uh, but, but allow me to just share my heart for a second. Because um, I, got, I got to just tell you and just point out what the Lord's been doing in my life over the last four years. Four years ago, um, I had the opportunity to serve as a pastor uh, on the, as a trustee for the IMB, our International Mission Board. For those of you that are, know about Southern Baptist life, uh, the IMB is the mission arm of our church. We, we uh, right now have over 3,600 missionaries all over the world. It's the, it's the largest mission-sending organization in the world. And we have fully supported, fully funded missionaries all over the world. And I want you to know, if you feel a call to the nations, we have a path to help you get there. But, but you know, I, serving on the IMB has impacted my life. It's, it's, it's shifted me. It's, it's, it's burdened me. I've always had a heart for missions. But, but as I've gotten this seat over the last four years to where, where the Lord is moving around the globe, 
I'm telling you what, it is, it has awakened me. It has awakened my heart. You know, one of the things that I've, I've discovered is that we're not praying. We haven't been praying like we should for our missionaries. And as a result of that, uh, a couple of years ago, every Wednesday night, we have from 6.30 to 7.30, we have a time of prayer for our church and for our mission, our, our missionaries. And, and I'll tell you, this has shaped me. This has impacted me. And, 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 and I've, I've just been just really, um, the, the Lord has been convicting me as a pastor, as a pastor in the United States, as a pastor in Oklahoma. And, and, and you know, as, as, I, as I think about what the Lord has done in my heart and my life, it, it's been interesting as I've said, Lord, uh, how do you want to use this? And, and I, I didn't see this coming, but, but in, uh, in November, God um, allowed me, and I appreciate our church for um, allowing me to accept this little role for the next two years, but I, but I got elected president of Oklahoma Baptist, and, and I'm thankful for that. I'm humbled by that. And... Um, and so for the last several months, I've, I've really since July, I've been praying about our Baptist world as a state, around our state. I've not, I've not really prayed about that much over the last several years. And I'll tell you what, I've been on my knees asking the Lord to give me insight. And you know what I've discovered? As I look at our Baptist denomination, as I look at what God has called us to do, we are in the middle of some very, very important things, sharing the gospel and making a difference. But, but you know what I've discovered? And something that God's put on my heart, not just for our church, but also as I had the opportunity this week to speak to the employees of our Oklahoma Baptist State offices this week, God's put this on my heart for our state. I believe that our churches in America, we better, we, we got to start acting like missionaries where we live. You know, what, you know what we've done in our Baptist world, I, what I'm afraid of, what I'm concerned about, not afraid of, I'm concerned about? We got a little comfy. We've stopped acting like missionaries where we live. So I love what Mike Henry's doing with Follower of One. We've we, we got to reclaim this call to missions right where we live. And I'll be honest with you, over the last four years, that's what God has been shaping in me. Now, um, years ago, I was a youth minister, and, and um, I was broken over our, just kind of what our, our ministry was kind of just coasting. And I got on my knees one night, and and I got to Proverbs 10.5. I'm not going to preach that whole message. That's a whole message. I can fall off a track and talk about that for 40 minutes, and I'm not, I can't do that today. But, but Proverbs 10.5 says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. I got on my knees in my house in the middle of the night and said, Lord, I promise for the rest of my life I will have a gospel challenge every year. And, and I've done that. Since that, since that day, I've had a gospel challenge. And then it dawned on me a couple of years ago, as I've been your pastor for several years, I thought, oh my goodness, I have a gospel challenge, but Lord, you've given me a church to pastor. 
And so by golly, as long as you give me a church to pastor, we're going to bring that challenge, that gospel challenge to our church every year. So I'm going to be faithful to that. And this morning, over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at a few churches in the, in the book of Revelation. And one of the things I want us to do is to kind of process the gospel adventure, the gospel challenge that is going to be before our church this year. You know, our staff last fall took a, a few days and we got, a, got away and we got on our knees and said, okay, where is God leading us to, what, what kind of challenge would God lead us to as a church? Last year was, uh, was a missionary mindset. Remember that? If you followed me on social media, I tried to be very consistent with that. And Let's have a missionary mindset. You know what, this year, it's our prayer and our challenge that God moves our church to a mission life. You know, um, I want to invite you to this mission life. Now, Revelation chapter 2, over the next several weeks, we're going to process our core values. If you're, if you're watching online, you're visiting our church today, this, this is a good opportunity over the next four weeks to really understand the core values of our church. And in Revelation 2, it begins the letters to the churches. John is writing it. He's, he's on the island of Patmos, and, and it's off the coast of Turkey. And, and he was about 100 miles away from the churches that he was writing to. And, and, and it's interesting, as, as God puts on John's heart the revelation, I think John is interesting. He's one of the most interesting disciples. Think about it. All the, all the disciples were martyred, but, but it was John that was given the revelation. I think it's noteworthy about John because who was the only disciple that never ran? John. I think it's interesting that John uh, was one that never took off. He stayed with Christ the whole way. And I think he never bailed, right? Now, I'm not dogging the other disciples because they served the Lord very well. But I think it's noteworthy that John never bailed. Hey, let me tell you something. You know what I'm just, just discerning about COVID? There's a lot of people that are bailing on the church. Hey, let's learn. Let's just lean into that one little aspect of John. He never bailed and God gave him the revelation. Interesting. You know, as John writes this, and if you look at the passage, he uses the word angels, to the angels. He addresses them to the angels. Uh, some have articulated this may be an angel uh, that is assigned to that particular church. The, the most common and I think the most appropriate uh, uh, person that this is addressed to is the pastor of the church. And, and I think it's interesting that that the word messenger, angel, is really to the one that is called to lead that church. And, and, and he called the seven churches lampstands. I think that's interesting. And, and, uh, and he specifically, I think, spoke to three groups here. I think he's speaking to the pastors. I think he's speaking to the churches. And honestly, when you look at Revelation, he's speaking to anyone who would listen. Anyone with ears to hear. That's what he says. 
Now let's stand together and let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Can we do this? Let's take a look at this. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in his first letter, you see this, that, that he tells the Ephesians, and there's a couple of things we can point out. Remember your past. Repent of your sins. Return to your first love. Now, if you're taking notes today, we're going to fly through this a little bit because, you know, first thing is we need to remember to remember, right? I'm not stuttering there. We need to remember to remember. Sometimes we forget to remember. Verse 1, to the angel, he writes, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that the Holy Spirit is at work. God uses the church. You realize it's the church that has the calling to to change the world. God uses us. God, God's plan of redemption for Tulsa and Owasso and beyond is the church, right? Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you, you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. So he points out uh, the church of Ephesus, they, they're, they're hard workers, right? This is a great picture of our church. I love that our church, is, we're, we're hard workers here. We work our tail off here. And without apology, we work hard here. You know, he points out they're persistent. Persistence is a, is a character of our church. We're not, we're not quitters around here. We don't quit. Uh, we don't back up. It's not who we are. We endure Look, we, we, we've had three funerals this week. Man, it's not an easy week. But let me tell you something. Someone um, appreciated a guy saying, how are, how are you guys doing? I said, we're good, man. This, is, this motivates us. When, when, when we walk people into eternity, that's a blessing. Are we tired? Yes. But by golly, we're called to this. We're not going to back up. We're persistent around here. We're discerning around here. We see this, that, that in verse 2, you, you can't tolerate evil people. We're not afraid to call out sin. We're not afraid to let, the, let God's word speak around here. God's word is authoritative. God words, God's word directs our thinking. It shapes our actions. 
It's authoritative for us. It, we, we say about the Word of God that whenever we discover an opinion that, that is contrary to the Word of God, we change our opinion to line up with Scripture. Uh, whenever we have a practice that is contrary to the Word of God, we are compelled to change our practice to line up with the Bible. Verse 6, he points out, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which was a, a group that was off base. And Paul says to them, keep up the good work. And Ephesus was an important flagship church here in, in, in Asia Minor. And, and they, were one of the, they were one of the churches that other churches looked up to. Folks, that's, that's our church. There's, I look at Ephesus, and, and man, we, we, we know about Ephesus. You, you see Ephesus in Acts described. Uh, you, you know about the spiritual battle that took place in Ephesus. And, and uh, man, it's some, some super cool stories in Acts. And, and uh, this church was pastored by Timothy, and Aquila and Priscilla helped, and Paul helped it. And, and, and man, this church was pushing back the darkness. It's a cool church. And I want you to notice that, ver that word, remember. You know what it's, suggest it's suggesting? It's this, uh, not just look back at the past. Jesus is not suggesting just relive the past. He's saying keep on remembering. You know, you know we got to be careful we don't live in the past, right? This year is a big year for us. It's our 75th anniversary as a church. Uh, um, last year, I preached the final funeral of the of the, found, the, the last founding church member of this church. There's not a founding church member still alive. The baton has been passed to us. And I'll tell you, we, we, we are grateful for our past. We're going we're gonna to celebrate. We're going to remember what God did in the past. But hey, hear me here, though. We don't, we don't live in the past. We're grateful for the past. We don't live in the past. And, and churches are dying because they live in the past. And uh, we've got to be careful with that. Uh, they weren't just to remember their former leaders. They, uh, w w why do we remember the past? We remember the past so we can build on our strengths, right? That's why we remember the past. We remember our past so we, we can be grateful for what God's done in the past. But I know so many people that trip themselves up because they just live in the fears of their past or live in the memories of the past. But this theme of remembering is important. It's all through the Bible because you're to remember the festivals, the holy days. The, we, we do the Lord's Supper, which is a remembering. And, and, and you know, the, the Ephesian church, they were doing well because uh, they, were, they were persistent. They had done well. But they had some blind spots. And, and, and you see over and over again in the churches of Revelation, anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a second point that you see in this passage that, that, that you notice when those blind spots come up, you've you got to turn around quickly, right? This is a calling we have when, when, when conviction comes. But look at verse 4. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You, you know, what have they done here? The, they, they were doing the right things, but, but, but they, were, they were missing something. Their, their love for Jesus was no longer their first priority, right? That's what we see here. John witnessed the th same thing 
decades earlier in Acts 6. You know, in Acts 6, remember that moment when, when uh, the church had turned inward? They were starting to fight over, over serving. And so then it was the deacons that were established. The deacons came together and said, look, we're going to take care of this serving problem and let's get back to focused outward. Let me tell you something. Churches begin to, to fall off a cliff when they just turn inward. You've got to hear that. And, and you know, they... They were challenged. They, they, they were commended for good works, but, but, but it was kind of that Mary-Martha struggle, right? Remember Mary and Martha when, when they, they lost their first love. They lost their love for Christ. Mar- Martha was wanting to work all the time. Remember that story? When Jesus said, hey, look, uh, Mary was, Martha was mad at Mary because she just wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. And Mary, Martha was like, hey, we've got work to do. They had, they had shifted and you know, when I think about this, a vibrant church doesn't start with a new program or a new pastor or, you know, um, you know what it starts with? A repentant church, a focused church, a church that puts Christ first. That's what we see here. And... um you know, this doesn't say that they, they were quitters or they got liberal or something. It, it, it doesn't say that they needed to be saved. Uh, they, they, they were sheep that wandered away from their shepherd. That's what's happening here. They didn't need to be redeemed here. They didn't need to be uh, uh, saved here. They needed to be restored here. They didn't lose their salvation here. What they lose? They lost the joy of their salvation. And, you know, let's, let's understand something very important. The Ephesians church didn't lose their first love. They left their first love. You know, when Eric, my son, he's a junior in college now, uh, he was three. We, he and I went to a PC North football game. And uh, uh, we were watching some kids in our youth group play, and it was packed. I think they were playing uh, Putnam City High School. So it was, a, it was like a rivalry game. And, man, it was packed. There were people everywhere. Eric was three. And I have this, this problem. When I see somebody, I start talking, right? I just talk. And, and I didn't notice that my three-year-old son had taken off. And I look around, and I'm like, I don't know where Eric is. And, it, you know, those football games, those rivalry games, it's a mass of humanity. And I'm like, Oh, no. I, at some point, I'm going to have to own up to Robin that I have lost our son. And, uh, and um, I go to the security guard. I said, okay, uh, I've lost my son. And he's like, what was he wearing? I was like, a shirt. I don't know what he was wearing. What co- I don't know what he was wearing. I didn't, pay, I, didn't, I didn't pay attention. You know, dads aren't great at details. And, um, and so literally, it was like 25 minutes. They, they're, they're security guards are everywhere. I'm sweating. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's going to be on 50th Street and, and, and Meridian. And I'm like, oh, this is, uh, Robin's going to kill me. And um, that's what I kept thinking. And um, I also thought, I hope Eric's okay too. But, um, but, but, um, but I, you know, I remember when I found him, we found him, some police officer found him, and, and a guy from my church had just saw him walking around, and he was like, Eric, come here, I'll take you, I'll help you find me. So we were looking for each other, and, and then finally Eric sees me, and his three-year-old little voice goes, Dad, why'd you leave me? What, 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 what are you doing? I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You, you know, you can, 
the, the church here didn't lose their love. They left their love. I lost Eric. I didn't leave him. They needed to repent. You know, you know this, is the, this is worth writing down. It's not in your notes. You know that repentance is the highest form of praise that we can offer to God? Repentance is the highest form of praise that we can offer to God. And repentance really should be a normal part of the Christian life. But you know what Satan messes that up? Satan takes repentance and, and turns it into shame. You know, repentance is not shameful. Um, John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes with the steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus said that I've come that you might have life. Have it to the full. See, when you repent, that's redemptive. That's right. That's restoring And you know what point three is just simply? There was this call to return to a first love focus. Can I just challenge us? Look, we're not going to back up in this. Whatever comes our way in the future, all we're doing in our culture is seeing the Bible play out right in front of our eyes. Right? Let me tell you something. Now's the time to walk with the Lord. Now's the time to be missionaries. This is not the time to back up. This is not the time to crawl in a hole. This is not the time when your knee hurts a little bit to just go, well, I'm going to just wait a while. No, I'll take an Advil. Let's get going. Look, I'm praying for our church to be a great commandment church. Because if you're a great commandment church, you're going to be a great commission church. Remember the great commandment? Mark chapter 12. And Jesus was hanging out and one of the scribes were were disputing with them and they came to Jesus. He said, okay, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? It's this. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and your strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when we become a great commandment church and we love the Lord with all we have, I'll tell you what, we'll be faithful missionaries where we live. And church family, we're, the world in front of us is becoming more secular It's secularizing right in front of our eyes. You know what that means? You know what God does when that happens? He deploys missionaries. And that's us. You know, our core value, it's our purpose statement. And I've got it up on the screen. We say that our purpose is to love all people to Christ, equipping them on their journey with God and one another. You know, we're not going to argue a nun to Christ. But you know what? We can love them to Christ. And that's my prayer is that we love our city and our community so well that even people that disagree with us 
are impacted by the love we have for them. You know, we've got to grow up in our relationship with God, our love for the Lord. I want to ask you to seek the Lord this week. Seek the Lord this week. You know how we live out this purpose statement? We're going to be fleshing this out over the next couple of weeks. We, we communicate that we follow Jesus around here. We don't follow a personality, a pastor. A, we follow Christ. We connect God's truth to our daily lives. That's what we do around here. We, we live together in community. And I'll tell you, in the midst of three funerals this week in the life of our church, after finishing a year that I've done more funerals than I've ever done in my life in a calendar year, and started the first week with three in this room, from a, teen, from a young adult to a senior adult. Let me tell you something. Um, I watched community fleshed out this week. I watched a group of boys. I saw a group of boys yesterday that had led Ismail to Christ as a my one. And they stood on this stage and took a picture. And let me tell you something. That young man's in heaven right now. Went to camp with us. And I'll tell you, though we were sad yesterday, there was confidence because that, God saved that man, that young man. And we, now God saved him. We didn't. But let me tell you something, we got to be a part of it. And that's our calling, right? To be a part of where God's working right here. Love that. We're going we're gonna to talk about being an ambassador for Christ representing Christ to the world. So here's, here's the challenge. I'll wrap this up today. Every, every week this entire year, we're going to have a mission life challenge for you to do this week. Here's the mission life challenge this week. The practice that we want to ask you to do this week. Take a prayer walk. I want you to go on a prayer walk, maybe through your neighborhood, somewhere in this city. Maybe it's through your office building. I found that when I start praying, God starts moving me. God starts opening my eyes. And I just put a little notice there. Keep your eyes open so you don't trip and fall, hurt your knee or something. Uh, But notice. Keep your eyes open. Notice. What's around you? Okay, now I'm going to ask you to put your money where your mouth is. How many of you right now will look at me and say, I'll do that this week? Would you raise your hand? That's good enough. Go on a prayer walk this week. And you know, it might get cold. Put on a coat. You'll be all right. As we close, I want you to look at verse five. 
Man, we can't miss verse 5 here. He tells him to repent. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's some things in the world that God hates. Oh, wait, Chris, I thought God was loving. He is. And because he is loving, he tells us there's some things that he hates. You realize that um, you can lose life in church. You can fail the Lord. Now, God's grace is to strengthen us, to convict us, to draw us to repentance. I think verse 7 is interesting. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, in 2019, Lifeway did some research. And, um, and it was similar to what they did in 2014. In 2014, they determined that 4,000 Protestant churches were planted in our country. Let's get the math here. 4,000 were planted, 3,700 closed. That was a positive of 300 churches in 2014. You know that in 2019, 3,000 Protestant churches were started in the United States, while 4,500 Protestant churches closed. Uh, This week, I was talking to one of our one of my friends who's a Baptist leader, kind of a national Baptist leader in our denomination. He's, he lives in Tulsa right now. He said, hey, Chris, uh, Google how far you are from Sheridan Road Baptist Church. We're 13 miles from Sheridan Road Baptist Church. I'll tell you something, that used to be a, a vibrant church in Tulsa making a difference. You realize that church is closed? They sold it, and they they did utilize the money of the sale of that church to try to, to support church revitalization efforts in Tulsa. I'm grateful for that. I'll tell you, Here's the truth. That has impacted me. Because in this seat that I'm in as a president of Oklahoma Baptist, I didn't realize I was going to be in that seat. Um, but I want to do something about those churches that are closing. And as I pray about this one, 
our calling here? We're celebrating 75 years this year. Well, let me tell you something. As the baton has been passed to us, it's my prayer that 75 years from now, when probably very few of us will still be rolling around here, that the gospel continues through us, through this church. The church at Ephesus is not there anymore. It's not in Turkey anymore. I have a missionary guy that I've been rubbing shoulders with, and he goes to that part of the world to share the gospel. And they're like, hey, we're not, we're not Christians here. He goes, no, 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 you were. I'm just bringing this message back to you because you gave it to me, and I'm bringing it back. we got to live a mission life, folks. Joe's going to sing a song, and we gotta, i got to stop preaching. Um, he's going to sing this song over you. You're not going to know this song. So what I want you to do is just listen and sit and, and think about your calling to live a mission life. I'm going to be down front. And I, it'll be a more uncomfortable day. You know, they say in preacher school that, oh, get people to stand first because it'll make them, it's easier to walk down the aisle. Now, we're not going to make it as easy today. But if you need to come to Jesus today, I'm going to be right here. I'll help you. Maybe you want to come and get on your knees and our, alt our altars are open. But would you just ask the Lord to help you live a mission life? Joe, lead us. <laughs>